Well, good morning. It's still morning for another 20 minutes. We'll try that again. Good morning. There we go. You should have already had a couple cup, a couple cups of coffee. Say that five times real fast. That's not that easy uh, to wake you up. But so glad you're here in church today. And thank you, Pastor Dave, so much for the opportunity to get to hang out with uh, with uh, this this great group that you have here. Uh, people often, uh, you know. The, you know, say like, oh, you know, church world is actually, you know, pretty, it's a pretty small world. You get to, we've been chatting with people we know and different. It's actually not a small world. It's just a very big family. And uh, I feel like I'm part of family here today. And so thank you for the opportunity uh, here. Speaking of family, I'm here with my wife today at the front. We uh, have been married. Oh, I didn't write this down. Uh, 27 years this August. Did I get that? She's nodding in approval. That's 10 points for me. Uh, yeah, so 27 years. And we got to see our son get married this summer. So I'm learning how to be an in-law. So if there's any father-in-laws out there, uh, paul.fraser at paoc.org is my email. Email me all your best advice, would you? Uh, I'm just two weeks into this journey and, and I'm, I hope I'm doing okay. Um, but really excited to, to share with you, and that's true. I work with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and have the wonderful privilege of connecting with churches and leaders and districts, starting new disciple-making communities all over Canada. Is there anyone here that can believe with me that Canada's best days are still ahead? Can I get an amen out there? Because we, we just need a move of God in our nation. And here's what I believe, and I've said this for uh, many years, that if Canada wins, the world will win. If we see something, I know we win in hockey every now and then, but I'm thinking more of like in the, in the area of becoming a Christian nation again. And many of you uh, that maybe are older in years probably remember when there was a day that most of Canada showed up at a church Sunday morning. And uh, that is not the day anymore. And we need, a, we need a move of God and we need his spirit to continue to lead and guide us. And so, uh, again, just such a great privilege to be here. When we talk about your favorite Bible story, I mean, there's so many great ones. Uh, when I do guest speak and have the opportunity to go to different places and speak, uh, sometimes they just give you a passage of scripture and it's like, okay, you know, we're going through the book of Mark and so you're in chapter eight, so find something in there and, you know, and so you do a little digging and commentaries and, and then when it, you know, it's like, the whole Old Testament, you can pick any story. I actually got stressed out about it because it's like, which story do you tell? Like, I love the story of David and, you know, anything in the book of Judges. And there's some great stories. I thought about uh, Elisha, which we'll talk about in a moment, where he, he, these young people were making fun of him for being bald. No laughs, nothing. Tough crowd. And then he called out two bears to maul the youth. I've often threatened that at youth camp when I would run youth camp. You bugging me about this, huh? Uh, I'm going to pray for some bears. No, I actually have never done that because I would not want God to answer that prayer because I'd be in a lot of trouble and I don't know how I would get convicted, uh, you know, praying some bears out of the bushes to maul some youth. But I digress a bit because I, I, I did end up landing on Elisha, but not that story. It's the story in 2 Kings chapter uh, four, and we'll read verses one to seven. And it's the story, if you remember, of the widow and the oil. 
And uh, maybe I like this story because I'm from Alberta. First service got it right away, but uh, you, you, you guys are worth waiting for, okay? Um, but it's more likely, I, I like it because there's some things in here that I'm sure you can relate to. I certainly can. Uh, and just in my own life and leadership in my journey. And so maybe some of you are very familiar with the story, but if you're not, let me give you some background. Um, so the story is actually about God. Uh, while Elisha is one of the main characters in this story, and this is a true life story. This isn't something that made up. Elisha was a real person, and this really happened. And, uh, but the story is about God performing a miracle to help a woman in crisis who just lost her husband. And so God uses the prophet Elisha, but Elijah, Elisha is the protege of Elijah. And, uh, and Elisha, uh, who's you know, the, the, the mentee, or I don't know what, if there's a mentor and a mentee, whoever that is, uh, he asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And Elijah was a great prophet of the Old Testament in the Jewish culture. It, he, he was very much revered. He was a prophet of judgment. Um, Mount Carmel, on the mountain, he says, you guys are serving these idols of Baal and these false worship, idol worship. He says, why don't we, why don't we have the one true God answer with fire? And if, if you remember the story, God answers with fire. And, and, and so Elijah was a prophet of judgment. And Elisha asked for a double portion. And uh, Elijah, Elisha was actually a prophet of compassion. That makes sense to me. Because it takes me literally 0.001 seconds to judge someone, right? You're all looking at me like you're judging me. Like just when I said that, you're looking back at me going, what's he talking about? I don't really like him. What's he wearing? <laughs> you know this to be true. You know why? Because you drive in traffic. And someone who's going five kilometers under the speed limit, you're like, why aren't they on the speed limit? The speed limit is there for a purpose. And then when someone's driving too fast, why are they driving too fast? They just, don't they know there's a speed limit? And it's so easy for us to judge or, or we see something we don't like or we have loud neighbors or, you, you know, it's so easy to judge, but try to be compassionate to someone. You need twice the effort, twice the focus to go, yeah, they're maybe driving slow because maybe they're nervous and they're a new driver and we just need to be patient and show compassion. I, I, I think uh, that kind of sounds like Jesus too. That he would look on the crowds and he would see that they have, he would have compassion on them and, and that's miraculous working power would flow through Jesus out of compassion. Could there be a connection between compassion and the miracle working power of God. I think so. I think so. You know, one of the things that we need, not just in like, you know, the Pentecostal denomination that I'm from or, or just, you know, whatever, whatever background you grew up with, but the big C church, the big family of God, what we need is pastors and leaders in churches, I believe, marked by compassion. Um, because these are the ones that are seeing God do incredible things. So Elisha is here with this woman in crisis, needing help. She's lost her husband. She's grieving. And adding insult to injury, two sons are on the brink of slavery from the creditor. 
So she comes to this compassionate God through Elisha asking for a miracle. I've entitled the talk this morning, Close the Door. Let's read the scripture together. I think it's up on the screen for you. Second uh, Kings chapter four, verse one to seven. Now the wife of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that, that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. That doesn't sound very good. Um, and Elisha said to her, what should I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing. Wait, 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 except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him to shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And the vessels, when the vessels were full, she said to her, bring me another. And he said to her, there is not another. The oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Let's just pray together. God, I thank you for your word that just brings life to us. I pray, God, that this, through the few minutes we have together, I pray it would find the good soil in our hearts. I thank you, God, that your word never returns to you empty and it always produces a result. So I have great faith, God, today that this word is going to encourage people, find the good soul of their hearts and produce a result. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Oh, I picked up the water, not drink it. Did you guys say amen? I didn't hear it. Oh, you did. You thought I was still praying. Okay. I love a good seven-verse turnaround. I mean, it's a short story, but a big turnaround. I don't know if you've ever had that happen in your life where something was heading one direction, all of a sudden, bang, God does something, and it totally goes the other direction. I've heard people say that it's going to take a, a, you know, a long time to recover from this pandemic, and <clears throat> to, be, to be honest with you, I've even said it myself, and without God, it probably will, but with God, anything is possible, and I'm wondering today if there's any anyone in the room that actually needs a seven verse turnaround. Maybe you need a move of God in a personal situation, a family situation. Maybe it's in your work or business and it feels impossible. I, I love strategies. God gives them, but give me the God of the impossible to come into any situation and turn it around. Um, his presence and his power changes things. And so we see this seven verse turnaround. God shows up and, and, and does this incredible, uh, incredible thing for this widow in crisis. So who is this family? The husband, the dad has passed away. This man seems to be known by Elisha. And a couple of things we know here that Elisha and the, his wife both knew they feared, that he feared the Lord. What a great compliment. Um, if I got a hundred compliments, and by the way, I'm not fishing, so don't, you can just, I mean, if you want to, it's up to you. <laughs> I would be so encouraged. Honestly, I'd be very encouraged. But something from my wife or my kids, especially since my kids have heard my sermons before and, and uh, you know, they came up like, 
Like that, that was really good, dad. Because they know me. They, they know whether or not I believe what I'm preaching. They, they, could, they could tell stories. My wife could, oh yeah. But when a compliment comes from someone close to you, yeah, he feared the Lord. That would, what an incredible thing that people could say about you, say about me. We should probably be less concerned what others think and more concerned about what God thinks and those around us who know us best think. We also know that he's in debt. We don't know how he got into debt. His his widow seemed to believe he was a God-fearing man, so we don't get the indication that this was like a debt of loose living. And I wonder if the story broke today with Instagram, Twitter, and all the other social media outlets, uh, you know, you know, Christian leader, leaves wife with big debt, two sons up for slavery. Maybe we would think there's a scandal, but, um, and it is heartbreaking right now with so many leaders not finishing well, but I don't think this is that. I think that Elisha and her knew that he served the Lord. He was a good man. And I felt like the Lord dropped this into my heart, maybe for some of you today, that sometimes you can run into debt by doing good. By loving God and doing good. The last two years or so, uh, there's lots of deficits and debts that were created in everyone. Physical debt. Um, Maybe just with extra work or extra stress, people cut back at your business. And so that put more work on, 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 on your plate. Maybe you got sick and it took extra time to recover. Maybe it was an emotional deficit where you know you're not at the same family events that you were before and you're missing out. Maybe you're feeling isolated. Maybe it was mentally taxing on people. We've never seen such high rates of depression and anxiety, especially in the next generation. Maybe we found it spiritually hard, not being able to come to church and worship together and hang out and and just pull someone over in the foyer and say, you know, I'm really struggling. Could you just quickly pray with me or or just, just go out for a coffee and share your heart about what God's doing? Maybe we find it tough. You run into a spiritual death debt. Message Canada, uh, Rekindle, and Church Planting Canada, all Christian organizations collaborated in a survey of Canadian congregational leaders that came out uh, this past March. And it said that 75% of respondents indicated they struggled with mental, emotional, or physical health. And here's the thing. If leaders are struggling, I know people are. So I know that you're in the room. More importantly, though, that God knows you're in the room and he sees you and he knows exactly what you need. He knows the area that you have a deficit and wants to pour his oil in, which, by the way, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you serve a God who is more than enough? And whenever you're running a deficit, you can look to him. Can you help out the Pentecostal preacher and throw an amen in there? Would that be okay? That we serve a great God and he wants to help you. Thank you, Pastor Dave. I I felt tested these last two years, um, no doubt about it. But I, I felt like God, even at this past February, at our pastor's conference, we got to go to Banff. I know, hard the things you have to do for the Lord sometimes, you know, it's just so difficult. Uh, so we're there for four or five days in Banff and uh, just 
begin to allow the Lord to search my heart. I don't know if you've done that in a while. It's always a good thing. Did you know you can't even search your heart? Only God can. And that takes time. You have to spend it with him. And as I was spending it with him, God just began to reveal some things in my life that was blocking. It was offenses that I held. It was, you know, frustrations that turned to anger. <clears throat> and I felt like God break through in that moment and have felt this beautiful peace, this beautiful joy that has come back. How about you? Do you feel like you're running in debt in any of these areas? Are you trying to do this thing called life on your own strength? Can I encourage you today just to admit you can't do it and that you need God's strength? So we know this widow's husband is in significant enough debt that the creditor wants to take his two sons. It's interesting to me that the, credit, the creditor wouldn't take the house. Now, maybe they didn't own it. Or the creditor realized something that I think every single person in this room knows to be true. That the next generation is more important than any building, property, structure, or system. Can I get an amen out there? I mean, how much time do you want me to spend here? Because this is so important. What we do in leadership and in our churches, looking forward, right across Canada, right across all denomination, needs to lean and look younger. We need to care about our kids and our grandkids and provide communities of faith that make sense to them. I'm so excited for the VBS that's happening. I hope you're going to pray this week. I, for this ministry trip that is happening with the young people, I hope you pray for them. Because this is an opportunity for them to encounter God. In our POC family, uh, our general superintendent a couple years ago came out with a vision. It says that we're going to reach, develop, and disciple millennials and younger. Um, I think the creditor and the enemy of our faith know that an attack on the next generation is a significant attack on the future. I think the future of the church in Canada is the next gen. There's no doubt about it. I don't even think they're, can I just change that? I don't think they're the, I don't think that they're the future of the church. I think they are the church right now. I think they're a big part of it. And I'm so glad to see so many young people here today and seeing so many come next week. So the next gen is going to play a big part. But I also think that, our, uh, that, the, that uh, the future of the church in Canada 50 years from now is going to be in the harvest. It's going to be those that don't even know Jesus yet. I think about that one in five kids that are coming here to, to hear the gospel, maybe for the first time, and maybe they respond to Jesus, and it changes the trajectory of their life forever. Maybe they, they go to Bible college or become a pastor, or maybe they become a missionary, or maybe they become a, a kingdom business person that just raises millions for the, for the kingdom. And it all started because this church decided to get behind next generation ministry. It's so important that we don't just look at the next gen, but we also see the harvest because I believe our best leaders, again, are not even saved yet. Can you believe that with me? I'll get one more amen out of you if you got one. So lots of articles, lots of blogs, lots of podcasts are being talked about the future and a lot's being said, but let's agree that uh, we get a renewed, that we, that we take the opportunity in front of us to get a renewed and intentional focus on the next gen. So Elisha asks her a very reasonable question. What do you want me to do? 
You're coming to me with this crisis. What do you want me to do? And it's one of those questions that if we get to heaven and I have a chance to ask Elisha, I'm going to ask, did you know what you were going to do? Because if you knew what you were going to do, why'd you ask? Why'd you ask? If you knew the solution, because I'm not totally sure he knew it at that moment. He's like, wait, wait, wait. What do you have in your house? And the widow said initially, I just got a little jar of oil. I, I can relate to that. Uh, not that I have lots of little jars of oil at home, but I feel like sometimes that I don't have enough. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. Um, I've felt that more recently in the last two years. I don't have enough to help start new churches. I don't have enough to encourage leaders, planters, and pastors. Uh, hearing about all the constant disruption and change. I don't have the answers for you. I do not have enough. And it, maybe you felt that way too going through uh, what you went through. And it can feel like we don't have much to offer, especially when we've had a season of so much output and not enough input. But this is what I love about this story. This is what I love about God in this miracle, that God took what she had. It didn't, he didn't say, it, he didn't take what she wished she had, what she dreamed she had, what she hoped she had, what she intended to have. She, he actually took what she had and that was enough for God. That's good news for someone today who feels like they don't have enough to do what God is calling them to do. And not only was that enough, God took it and he multiplied it. Can you believe again that God can take the little you think you have and multiply it for his glory? No matter what the age, from the very youngest to the very oldest, God has got a plan. And so Elisha gives direction and says, get the jars. And I love how he says this. Don't just get a few. I think I know what God's going to do. Just get as many. Could you imagine what that would have looked like? We read the story and we already know what happens in verse 7. But think about how awkward this is for the widow having to knock on the door. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear it. But yeah, you know, they're going to take my sons. And Well, what are you going to do? Do you have any empty jars? Like, think about that for a second, how awkward that would be. I mean, what do you need them for? I, I can't really say I, I don't even know what's going to happen. I just need empty jars. She was just going in obedience. And sometimes that's all it takes, friends. It's just that one next step. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just do the next step. And so you'll notice that the size of this miracle was in proportion to the jars she had. The size of this miracle was in proportion to the faith steps she took. And so obviously she had enough because she had enough to pay for the past, pay for the future. She obeyed God and stepped out, not even knowing what was, what was next or if it would work. And the prophet says, once you have the jars, you need to close the door. It'd be interesting for me to get everyone's take on why Elisha told her to close the doors. Maybe there's lots of great reasons. Maybe if she poured it out in public or someone would walked in and say, hey, what are you doing over there? And might have, you know, maybe they would have been jealous. I mean, I, I know, you know, in this room, 
you know, no one's jealous. I mean, in our Pentecostal, there's, everyone's jealous. But, you know, here we're very spiritual people today. You know, no one, no one here is wishing you had someone else's calling or gifting or talents or abilities or financial resources. No, no, no. But, but, but in, in comparing. But I think what God wanted to do was he wanted just to show how personal he was for them and in them. And it needed to be in a private moment. It wasn't supposed to be done in front of a crowd. It was to show that God just personally cared for them in their crisis, in their moment. There may be people here today that are sitting right next to you that don't even know that you're in crisis. Even the people closest to you may not even know. But can I tell you with great confidence that God knows and God personally cares and God specifically wants to meet you just like he met them. And he wanted this to be a specific moment just to encourage them. And I mean, this is probably, how much more personal could it get where literally the livelihood of your two sons is at stake? What's more personal What's more personal than that? I think maybe there are people here today hoping that maybe you were at a different spot, maybe in your faith, and, and, and you were wanting a breakthrough maybe publicly. You wanted to see things happen, you know, maybe in a ministry you started or maybe a business or something. That, and can I encourage you? I felt, I felt like that, that, that God maybe wants to do something in you before he wants to do something through you. I'm remembering Mark chapter 9, where Jesus is um, dealing with a demon-possessed boy, and, and the disciples can't cast this demon out. And Jesus said, well, only this demon comes out with prayer and fasting. Well, Jesus hadn't prayed and fasted 30 seconds before. He had already done that in the night. Often the scriptures would say that Jesus would go away to lonely places. He would, he would go hide in the mountains. He would be away from everywhere, undistracted, so he could spend time with God, allowing God Allowing his father to, to, to see what his father is doing, to hear what his father is saying, and then to, to model that. You see, he got the breakthrough in the private. He got breakthrough in the night for the next day. And I feel like there's some people here today, maybe he's speaking to you right now, wooing you back to that personal encounter again. Inviting you back to that deeper connection with him. That place that's undistracted. Where you just go and close the door because he wants to do something in you before he wants to do something through you. And by the way, I'm not preaching to anyone else in this room uh, first than me. This is something that the Lord has been asking me to do, to just spend more time with him, to close the door, get alone, no distraction, so he can speak to the empty areas. He can fill those empty areas, those lacking areas in your life with his oil, with his Holy Spirit. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 5, he's speaking to the the church in Ephesus, and sorry, I don't have the scripture for you on the screen, but I'll read it for you. And this is kind of the, the charge that he has against this church. And I wonder if, if, they would, if this would fit maybe in some of our lives or in the season maybe you're in. And the spirit is speaking to the church is saying this, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to, come to you and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. I want to focus you in on just that one phrase. Do the things you did at first. I'll admit, early in ministry, when I was a youth pastor uh, at, at West Edmonton Christian Assembly, it's a church just on Henday, it's called Saints Church now, and I'll admit, early, uh, I mean, I would, I, would, I would get to church, and I'd, I'd, I'd have a sermon ready, and I'm like, this is a terrible message. Maybe you're feeling you haven't gotten much better. But anyways, it, 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 just, it, it was just like, God, if you don't show up, Nothing's going to happen. This is, I, God, I'm so desperate. Somehow, take what, whatever is going to happen tonight and the worship team, and if they even show up, and how is all, God, would you, I was so desperate. I was so dependent. I would pray alone. I would worship alone. I, I would do those spiritual disciplines when I was just first in ministry. But what happens is you get experience, and you realize, hey, I can do some things on my own. And you forget what you did at first and you become too independent. God is calling, I believe, us back to close the door, to get alone, to pour your heart and soul out to him because he wants to pour back into you. You see, the Bible says that Jesus gives the spirit without measure. So God's not the limiting factor here when we think of our fullness. It's us. And as long as there's an empty vessel, guess what? This is really great news. He's going to fill you. You see, we're as full of God as we want to be. Did you catch that? You're as full of God as you want to be because he gives his spirit without measure. So are we emptied of the cares of this world? Are we emptied of the sin that so easily entangles us? Are we emptied from the fear that grips us of courageously chasing after what God has for you? You see, God wants to fill you for you, yes, but also for others. You see, the blessing just isn't for you. Freely you've received, so freely you give. You give. And I believe as long as there are empty vessels in your family, in your church, in your workplace, your neighborhoods, I believe that the oil of God's spirit will continue to flow. And if you, if you need any um, evidence of that, just go talk to your neighbors and ask them how they're doing. And listen for the pain points. Listen to a colleague at work. You'll find that there's emptiness everywhere. But guess what? We've got the answer and his name is Jesus. Can I get an amen out there? You are lacking nothing. The Bible says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours. Because you're, uh, because of Christ in you. So in a moment, I'm going to be praying for those that maybe are feeling some emptiness, maybe feeling lack, and just asking for a small step of faith just so that I can agree with you in prayer. But the last thing is this, and, then we're, and the worship team can, can prepare for the last song. The widow didn't assume to know what to do with the oil. 
And I love this, that she went back and said, okay, I've got all these jars of oil. I just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of you on this. And I think sometimes we, we get ahead of God on these things. And I just, I, if I can encourage you, I think it's Galatians chapter five, that we are to keep in step with the spirit. That we're not to get ahead, we're not to move too quickly, but we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Nobody wants to get ahead of God, because it just doesn't work. I don't know if you've ever done it. I don't know if you've ever assumed this is what God wanted. I know some people have said it's easier to ask for per, uh, forgiveness than permission, but it doesn't always work out that great. But to not get ahead of God. See, God's got an incredible plan for your life. And he wants to give you everything you need to see it fulfilled. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, thanks so much for listening this morning. What a, what a privilege, again, it's been to be here with you. And I trust this word is encouraging for you. But before, uh, before we get to this next song, this last song before we close, I do want to include you in a prayer, if that's you, and it's saying, you know, Pastor Paul, I could just use a little prayer. I'm feeling empty in this area. I feel like I'm lacking. I don't feel like I'm as close to God as I want to be. Nobody's looking around. And simply, I'm just going to ask you just to quickly put up your hand, look my way, and I'll include you in my final prayer. Is there anyone that would say, thank you? Is there anyone else that would say, yeah, thank you? Lots of hands going up. You're putting your hand up for God, not for me. Thank you. I see in the balcony. Thanks so much. Let's go to prayer about that. So God, I thank you for the honesty and the transparency but also I'm thankful for the hunger I'm thankful for the hunger in this room that's saying yeah I, I, I'm missing something I'm missing you God I need you to pour into the empty areas of my life I, I, I need you to, to pour into those areas that I'm lacking and you do, God, give the Spirit without measure. And so I'm asking for every single person that put up their hand today that said, yeah, I just need you to pour in. God, just like you did specifically for that widow and her two sons, you knew exactly what they needed in that exact moment. I'm asking Holy Spirit for you to go to every single person that put up their hand and give them exactly what they need. You are a God who cares personally for us. You don't just treat us just with one brush, you know, one big brush stroke. You, you, you treat us individually, specifically, and you care about all that we're going through. And so I thank you, God, that you're going to each one that responded today. For this church, God, I, I thank you that Ellerslie Road Baptist Church has just been a light in Southwest Edmonton for years and years. When they were out here, when no other houses were around, were around the foresight got to see that they, they, they needed a, a, a church that would shine the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray a blessing over Pastor Dave, the team, this church, that they would see such fruitfulness in the next decades. God, would you just continue to give them creativity, give them wisdom, give them courage, but most of all, God, go with them and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, 